Hi, welcome to Lighthouse Vineyard Church. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at lighthousevineyard.church. Enjoy the message. Hello, everyone. My name's Clint Schwartz. I'm the lead pastor here. Boy, it's good to be back in church. I missed church last week. Uh, Rose and I and Matt LaFree, we all had COVID. That was an exciting time. Yeah, so not really, but it's good to be back. Uh, And as I've talked to many people over the last couple of weeks, I don't think we're the only ones that had COVID recently. That's what I'm getting the impression. So so for those of you that are finally making up back to church as well, we're really glad to have you here. I would recommend, though, don't schedule COVID next year during the 21-day fast. It's not a good time. Um, it was, we were like, do we have enough vegetables to get us through this quarantine? You know, it was one of those things. So, um, we're really glad to be here with you today. So how is the fast going? Yeah, yeah, a couple of goods. Yeah, well, we are in our last week of our 21 day fast. And uh, this week, many of you, many people have signed up to, to fast a uh, completely from food for a day or two or three or five. Um, So this is a a week to join us. If you have not been participating in the fast or you're not sure what this is all about, uh, this is a great week to jump on board and just find a day this week where you say, you know, I'm going to give up food for 24 hours just to show God that I love him. You know, I mean, that's really what we're trying to do. Passion is our word for the year. Our, our hope is that we all grow more in love, more passionately in love with Jesus by the end of the year, and this fast is part of that. Uh, now, there are benefits to fasting, to be sure, um, but this fast is not about us. It's, this is about God, our Father, and, uh, and, and Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, and we're fasting to please them. That's what this is about. So, um, now, the one thing about fasting, though, it's not just about the sacrifice. Um, we're supposed to then fill up as well. So as we take food out, um, we're supposed to then fill up. That's what the benefit for us of fasting really is, that we can feast on God. Jesus said it this way. He had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and he was hungry. And then Satan came up to him and tempted him. He said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Listen to Jesus' response. He says, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So as you sacrifice this week, keep those words in mind that we can live without bread, right? We can do that. Jesus did. We can do that as well. But more importantly, we're supposed to feast on the word of God. So as we give up something, as we give up food, as we give up I mean, there are many people who are giving up like social media or giving up caffeine. As we make that sacrifice, it's not just about the sacrifice. We need to turn around and feast on the word of God. And so we are making a way for you to do that through song uh, every night this week, Monday through Friday. Uh, We are having a week of worship, and it's an opportunity for you to come in and feast on the word of God. So Monday night, we're going to be having a a worship circle Um, How many of you have been to a worship circle before? All right, so yeah, quite a few of you. But what a worship circle is, for those of you that haven't been to one, we just get into a circle and we worship. All right, that's pretty much it. Now, um, and that is what we're going to do. We're going to do it over in the beacon. 
And my son, John Michael, and myself, we're going to bring our guitars, and we're going to lead that. And you are welcome to bring an instrument as well. If you want to join us, we'll have song sheets for everyone. But you don't have to uh, bring an instrument. Your voice is an instrument. And uh, we are going to take time at 7 o'clock and just press into worshiping God. That's one of the ways that we can feast on the Word of God while we're giving up food. All right? So that's Monday night. Uh, all of these are at 7 o'clock this week. Tuesday night, we have our normal um, prayer room. And uh, if you've never been to the prayer room, this is a good week to come. And it, that's in here. And we have people who will worship and pray over us. And we get to just kind of sit in the presence of God for an hour. And it's a wonderful, wonderful time. That's every Tuesday night. And then Wednesday night, our young adults are going to lead worship. So they're going to get up here with some guests. They're going to have some guest musicians and vocalists, and they're going to lead us in a time of worship. And uh, young adults are a little radical. Just so you all know, there might be some dancing, you know, stuff like that, you know, so it's a little bit, a little bit different, but it's a great time to come and join them. And everyone's invited. And then Thursday night, uh, my son Michael, who attends another church, leads worship at another church in our community, is going to come and lead worship, kind of an uh, acoustic set over in the Beacon, while our, our main worship team is in here doing uh, rehearsal um, for Friday night, which is our big celebration night of worship. Who's excited about our night of worship on Friday? Yeah. Can I say this? Young people, can I say this? It's going to be lit. I got some, yeah, I got some, hmm, I'm not sure you should say that. Is it over? Is that word gone? Is, I mean, I, I've been using it for, you know, at least a week now. So anyway, it's going to be great. So at our night of worship, we are going to break our fast by having communion together. Uh, and this isn't the little cups and the little pieces of bread. We're going to have full rolls and bottles of juice and, uh, and, you know, if we have extra, you can just keep back there eating them until they're all gone. It's going to be a great time. And then after our night of worship, we're having a carry-in over in the beacon just to celebrate that we can all eat again. And so this is, you bring whatever food you've been craving, okay? For me, I'm going to be bringing hacienda chips and salsa and ranch dressing because that's, I don't know, when I fast, that's all I think about is hacienda <laughs> chips and salsa. And the ranch dressing, you mix it together. Okay, anyway, moving on. But it's going to be a wonderful time this week to jump in and be part of what's happening here at the church. So I would encourage you to come uh, this coming week. Every night, 7 o'clock. So today we are continuing our message series called The Love Languages of God. And uh, this is based on a book by Gary Chapman called The Five Love Languages. And if you haven't read that book, I would encourage you to read it. We have copies for sale at the Welcome Center. But this is how Gary Chapman uh, defines love languages. He says, each person has a primary love language, which means that one of the five love languages speaks more deeply than the other four on an emotional level. When someone speaks my primary love language, I am drawn to that person because he or she is meeting my basic need to feel loved. Speaking someone's love language is super important in relationships. I know in our household, um, it was really important in my relationship with my wife to understand each other's love languages because they're different. 
You know, there's that scripture that says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Not exactly, okay? When it comes to love languages, you, you need to treat people the way they want to be treated, not necessarily the way that you want to be treated. You need to be able to speak their love language uh, instead of yours. And it's been super helpful in our relationship, but it was also super helpful with our uh, relationship with our children too. When they were growing up, Rose took, uh, or she made a printout, this is probably just for me, and put it on the fridge. <laughs> now that I think about it, was it just for me? It probably was. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> but it had each of our kids, and it had their love languages underneath them. It was helpful. It was really helpful. <laughs> I know. Yeah. All right, so... Um, the five love languages, if you don't know what they are, they are words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. And we're going to go through all five of those in this series. Um, and you can identify what your primary love language is by asking yourself well, these three questions. How do I most often express love to others? So if your idea of expressing love is scratching somebody's back or holding their hand, it might be physical touch. If it's, you know, like, doing some cleaning the house or something like that. So you ask yourself, how do I like to express love? The second question is, what do I complain about the most? So like, you never spend time with me or you never tell me that I look pretty. You know, I mean, if that's, if that's what you do, then that's probably it. Now, if you're not a complainer, which none of us are in this room, then it's the third question, what do you request the most often? That's like complaining, but it's not the same. All right, but yeah, like, what do you ask for? What do you look for? And that will help you to identify your primary love language. Um, you can also go to the website fivelovelanguages.com and take a small five-minute survey. And it was helpful for me because it puts them in order, too, and it gives them kind of like a, a weighted score as to if, you know, are your top two really close or that type of thing. So in this series, we're going to describe each love language and talk about how that applies to our relationships with others. But then, more importantly, we're going to take a look at how that love language applies to our relationship with God, how we can express love to God, and how we can receive love from God in our primary love language. So two weeks ago, we kicked off the series with a message on words of encouragement, this is when you feel most loved when people speak positive words to you, encouraging words. And if you missed that message, you can watch it online. But today we are going to learn about the love language of quality time. Quality time. Here's the definition. Quality time is giving someone your undivided attention. Giving someone your undivided attention. In his book, he went on to describe what that looks like. He gave some examples. He said, with a small child, it may be sitting on the floor drawing together. With a spouse, it is sitting on the couch looking at each other and talking. Or taking a walk down the road, just the two of you. Or going out to eat and engaging in good conversation. With a teenager, it is going hiking and telling him or her what your life was like at their age. Then asking how their life differs from yours. You focus on the teen, not the hiking. For the single adult, quality time is planning an event with a friend where the two of you have time to share your lives with each other. The important thing is not the activity, but the time spent together. So based on all of that, how many of you in this room think that quality time is one of your top two? Okay, yeah, quite a few, quite a few people 
within our church. So with Rose and I, it is actually our number two love language is quality time. And so we really enjoy spending time together, though being quarantined for five or six days together, stretch that for the introvert between us. I'm not the introvert, in case we were wondering. <laughs> I'm like, we could be quarantined for another what? You know, another week. And she's like, when are you leaving? <laughs> when are you? I'm like, I'm, I can't. I'm sick. I'm sick. <laughs> she likes me. She really does like me, just so you guys know. And so we, um, but it was really helpful. I mean, spending time together it was, was helpful during the quarantine. Now, to help us better understand this love language, I've asked a couple of our leaders to come up here. Hope Orr and David Merle are going to come up and answer a few questions. They both have quality time as their top love language. All right. Thank you, guys. For joining us. All right, so I t- they did this uh, last service and did it really well. And so I told David, I said, don't change a thing. Say the exact same words that you did last service. I'll tell you if you miss something, okay? Um, so give us an example of a time when someone spoke this love language to you really, really well. Uh, well, so recently it was uh, my birthday. And so my family knows there's a a pizza place that I like to eat at that's about a, an hour away. So I think they thought pizza was my love language. That's uh, one of mine. It might be number two. <laughs> and uh, so it's about an hour away. And so that meant for that evening, uh, we have the drive there, the drive back, the time together uh, to eat uh, the pizza and things. And so uh, at the end of that evening, I just felt uh, very loved. They just did a great job of putting it together. Yes, the time. The, the time. time. It yep. was the time, yeah. Good. How about you, Hope? Recently, I, I um, received a phone call from a friend of mine, and um, we chatted for a while, caught up a little bit, and then she commented that she wanted to get together so we could have coffee, even though she doesn't drink coffee, but we decided to get together uh, in the near future to just talk more. And so that was important to me because even though we caught up on the phone, she still wanted to meet one-on-one, and I like that face-to-face. Yeah. A call's nice, but I like the sitting face-to-face. Yeah, and, and with people with uh, the um, love language of quality time, they tend to be the ones who are offering, hey, let's get together. Hey, do you want to get coffee? Do you want to have lunch? Do you want to come over and watch the game? And so it means so much more when you're the one offering it back to them, right? I mean, that was the big part of that was that not only did you get your time on the phone, but then they were saying, hey, let's get together for coffee. And so that's one of the ways we can really show that quality time is to offer to spend time together. Now, as it relates to quality time, what is something that people have done or can do that makes you feel unloved? Like, what are some of those things? Uh, being distracted on your cell phone. Ooh. Uh, I said this first service, by the way, and then I got on my own cell phone <laughs> and someone called me out on that. So. But, uh, but yeah, so being present in the conversation that you're having, being p- present uh, with me, and so uh, it feels like the cell phones are the most repeated offender of distraction, and so uh, when a person can concentrate and put away their cell phone to be present, it, it's just helpful. It's that undivided attention. Yes, undivided attention. Undivided. I, somebody sent me a cartoon this past week, and it had a picture of a husband and wife out for dinner, and the husband was on his cell phone, and the wife said, hey, 
can we take that cell phone and put it on my forehead so it looks like you're paying attention to me, you know, for the rest of our dinner? How about you, Hope? It's the same thing, the cell phone. Um, if I'm out with somebody <clears throat> and they tell me ahead of time that they have an important call they have to get or something that's different, or if a child or something like that, but, uh, well, sometimes a child. <laughs> <laughs> but um, when I'm talking to them, I like to have the communication. I like to have their focus because otherwise it's just like they're not really interested. And the first service I said, you know, we're done if they're on their phone all the time. And I just mean it seems like we're through now. You know, it seems well, like... you could we've... say we're just done. <laughs> I'm just it, done with you. If you get on your phone, I'm it, done. It does irritate yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I can never get a hold of you, Rick, because you're, you're with Hope and the phone is... She does. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he knows. He knows. Um, now, as it relates, because several people in our church have, this is their love language. So as it relates to the people in the church, what can we do to make those with this love language feel more loved and accepted? Uh, like when you take the initiative to, to reach out, maybe schedule either the lunch or the coffee or offer, uh, that goes a long way of communicating uh, love to me. And I certainly know that we're all busy and that we're, we're experiencing a time famine, uh, you know. So uh, it feels like a big sacrifice for people like to, and that's why it communicates the love because it's, it's a rare commodity. But I would also add for me, um, pe when people take a moment to even prioritize a phone call to catch up, mm -hmm. uh, it, goes a, it goes a long way to communicate that person's concern and love for me. Mm -hmm. That's good. I would agree with everything he just said. But also, um, there's times when uh, you can't change things in your life and you are busy. And I know people, especially here, understand that. And so if someone's trying to get together, say with Rick and I to go out to eat or, or just myself for lunch, um, I always try to let them know I haven't forgotten about you. I haven't forgotten about you. I still want to get together. And for me, that's important. Because otherwise, if they don't say anything, well, I'm busy, I'm busy, and they don't get back to me, it's like, well, they don't really want to do this. Right, right. That's good. That's good. Well, thank you guys for joining us and for sharing. All right, so quality time, investing quality time in those of us who have that as one of our love languages is super important. But let me just say this. Quality time with God is super important as well. Super important. Here's a few quotes. If a man wants to be used by God, he cannot spend all of his time with people. I love that quote, A.W. Tozer. Here's another one by Charles Stanley. We can be tired, weary, and emotionally distraught, but after spending time alone with God, we find that he injects into our bodies energy, power, and strength. Anyone experience that? Yeah. It happens, it happens. And then Billy Graham said, nothing will help us grow spiritually more than spending time alone with God every day, reading his word and praying. Time alone with God is essential to our spiritual warfare. And I would just say that's true. Spending time with God is so important in our relationship with God and what we receive out of it. But more than that, when we spend time with God, <coughs> when we spend time with God, it's showing him that we care about him and that we love him. God has the love language of quality time. 
He wants to spend time with us. If we go back to the very first book in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, Scripture says there that God himself was walking through the garden in the cool of the, cool of the day, calling out for Adam and Eve, his creation. He was walking through the garden to simply spend time with Adam and Eve. He wants to spend time with us. And James says, come near to God and he will run away from you. No, it doesn't say that. It says, come near to God and he will come near to you. God can't help. If you, if you call him and say, hey, do you want to have coffee? He's going to find time. He's going to make time because he wants to spend time with each of us. In the first chapter of Matthew, the author quotes a prophecy from Isaiah about Jesus, and he says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus was sent down to this planet to be flesh and blood, to be with his creation, to be with us, to spend time with each of us. That was his plan. That was his goal. All right, so today we're going to take a look at a story in the book of John chapter 4. You can turn there in your Bibles if you'd like. But it's a story about Jesus and how he spent some quality time with an individual that you wouldn't normally think Jesus would spend time with. It's about the, the woman at the well. So now, as just to set this up, Jesus was spending his time in Jerusalem, and he went there for the Passover feast, and he was there spending time, and he had baptized individuals, he had cleared the temple, he had met with Nicodemus, and he was heading back to his hometown in Galilee. But to get there, he had to go through the region of Samaria. So this is John chapter 4, starting with verse 5. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The next several verses talk about their discussion on living water. But in verse 16, Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But the Jews claim that the, the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and it has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. 
God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. He actually just revealed that he is the Messiah. Just then, verse 27, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Now I'm going to skip down to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world, the Messiah. So today, what I want to do is spend a little bit of time looking at some lessons we can learn from Jesus' approach to this woman uh, in the area of quality time and see if we can apply that to our lives as well. Let me pray. So Father, I thank you for your word that is true. I thank you, Lord, that you gave it to us as an example, as a teaching instrument. And Lord, I pray that your living word would come alive in our hearts today and you would speak to us individually supernaturally through your Holy Spirit. Give me your words to speak, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so four lessons that we can learn from Jesus' response. The first one is this. Jesus gave time to this woman regardless of her background. Regardless of her background. Verse 7 says, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew... And I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So she called out that she's a Samaritan, and more than that, that she was a woman. In that time, men and women did not interact very much. I mean, they were kept separate, especially if you were a teacher of the law. So let's talk about Samaria for a second. Here's a map of Judea, Samaria, and Galilee. So the Middle East, Judea is where Jerusalem is, Bethlehem, Bethany, and so on. And that's where Jesus was at. He was in Jerusalem for the Passover. But he was going to go up to Galilee, up to Nazareth, his hometown, his hometown, or maybe Capernaum where he was doing ministry. But to get there, he had to either go through Samaria or many of the Jews would actually cross the Jordan River and go up on the other side, the east side of the Jordan River, and cross back because they hated the Samaritans, the Samaritans. Now, why is that? Why did they hate them? Well, a long time, this goes back hundreds of years, but when the Jews were took, taken into exile, uh, the ones that stayed back stayed in Samaria, and they intermarried with uh, the people around them, okay? So the Jews actually considered them half-breeds. They were half-breeds, but they, they also claimed Abraham as their ancestor, and so they had this ongoing argument about whether or not they really were Abraham's descendants because they weren't purebreds. Also, they had this argument about where you can worship because they weren't allowed into Jerusalem, but they still wanted to worship God. So they created their own place to worship, and there was this ongoing argument there as well. So 
when Jews would go through Samaria, it was a dangerous thing to do because they're, they hated each other. And, and, they, and they said that they don't, they don't associate with each other. They don't talk to each other. And here Jesus was talking to a Samaritan. And not just any Samaritan, a female, which was a big deal. He was talking to a female. And not just any female. She had been married and divorced five times. And she was living in adultery as they spoke. So she was a sinner. Um, she had, uh, it said that she came around noon to get water. And that wasn't normal during that time. Uh, usually the women of the village would go get water in the morning and it was a social thing. So most likely because she was married and divorced, married and divorced, living with someone, she was a social outcast. And so here she was, probably ashamed of her life, of her lifestyle, and she's going to the well at noon. And what's Jesus do? He talks to her. He didn't care about her background. He didn't care about it. So here's a question I have for each of us. Do I avoid conversations because of a person's appearance? You know, if they're not dressed very nice, maybe they smell a little. If you don't like wearing masks, maybe they're wearing a mask, and so you decide, I'm not going to talk to them. Or maybe you are a masker, and they're not wearing a mask, and so you avoid them as well. Maybe they have a different color of skin or a different ethnicity, different language. But honestly, do you avoid those kinds of conversations when you run into them at the grocery store or you see them at work or in your school? Jesus' Jesus' example of talking to this woman was an example to each of us. He was saying Every single person who has breath on this planet has value to him. It doesn't ca- he doesn't care if they're tall or short, young or old, red, yellow, black, brown, or white. He doesn't care. They're all precious in his sight. Amen? And if we call ourselves Christians or want to be a follower of Christ, then that means that we are supposed to treat everyone with the same kind of dignity and respect that Jesus did this woman. So we need to be willing to give time to those who have a different type of background. Point number two, Jesus endured pointless conversations. As she was talking to him, she noticed that he was a prophet. And you know what she jumped right into? She said, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. She went right to politics. That was the local political issue between the Samaritans and the Jewish people was, where can we worship God? Have you had any political conversations the last couple years? Are you just over it? Anybody? Yeah, no. Yeah, I, I hear you. Yeah, I mean... And what can happen is somebody comes to you with some political conversation and we're to the point, I mean, at least I am, where I'm like, okay, I'm out. Like, okay, I think we're done with the phone call. I think I'm going to go, you know, walk away or whatever. But that's not what Jesus did. I want you to notice his response. Jesus first found common ground with the lady. 
All right? He, he understood where she was coming from, found common ground, spoke truth into the situation, talked about, hey, it doesn't matter where we worship. One day we're all going to worship in spirit and truth. And, he, and she pointed, he pointed her to God. And we can learn from that. If someone's coming to us with another political conversation, right? Find the common ground, right? Speak the truth, not your opinion, by the way, because my opinion doesn't always line up with truth. And I'm guessing yours is like that too. But speak truth and point them to God. But he endured a pointless conversation. He didn't walk away from it. He continued to give her time. And then number three, Jesus was generous with his time. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed, do you see that? Two more days. Not two more minutes, not two more hours. He stayed two more days. Now, I don't know about you, but... But when I'm on a mission, like if I'm driving to Florida, we're not going to stay two more minutes at a rest stop than what we have to, right? Because I, I have a plan, I have a mission, I have somewhere where I want to go. And I'm guessing Jesus was on a, he, I mean, he cut through Samaria. He didn't go around. You know, he, he wasn't going to waste his time. He cut through Samaria, knowing that it could be trouble for him. And he gets there. And they, they say, hey, can you talk to us some more? Can you spend some more time with us? And he stayed two more days. Two more days. We can learn from that. I've gone on many mission trips um, around the world, and I remember uh, my, my first mission trip was, um, one of my first trips was to the Dominican Republic. And, uh, and we would walk up to, to people like on the street and they'd be walking by and we would say, hey, you got a minute? And they would gladly stop whatever they were doing, wherever they were going, and they would sit there and just talk to us and give us time. And it was just so eye-opening to me, like, wow, they, they're so willing to just give time to another individual, a perfect stranger. Now, I did street ministry uh, at... Navy Pier in Chicago before, not quite the same experience. Hey, can you, oh, can you, hey, nobody would stop. I mean, you could spend a half an hour trying to get someone to talk so you could share the gospel with them, and they just wouldn't give you the time of day. We can learn from our brothers and sisters around the world and be willing to give time and not just a little bit of time. I mean, be generous with our time to others. <laughs> I was thinking about this this week because we're, we're fasting, and, uh, and I'm thinking, well, what's something I can do to put into my schedule? And, and I felt like God said, spend time with people. Because you, I don't know about you, but I'm rarely disappointed when I spend time with people. Now, some of you, no, and I'm not saying that. Um, <laughs> no, but I'm rarely disappointed but, but I can tell you the number of times I've been disappointed watching the TV, right? Watching TV, watching Netflix, spend a couple hours with it, and you to walk away, and you're not feeling any better than when you started. Maybe a little worse, depending on what you watch. So, but when you spend time with people, man, 
There's a benefit, and this takes me to point number four. Giving quality time to this community produced great fruit. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Those two extra days paid dividends. When he was generous with his time, many more became followers of Jesus. I think we as followers of Jesus in our culture today have a huge opportunity to show love to others by being generous with our time because it's not happening. And it will shock people when you say, hey, do you want to get coffee? Hey, do you want to go out for breakfast? Hey, do you want to come over for dinner and play a game? Because it's not happening anymore. We have become so used to isolating ourselves. Oh, I could go on a tangent right now. (laughs) So Rose and I, on Thursday, so, you know, we had the big snowstorm on Wednesday. And on Thursday... Uh, we went out, we went to Lowe's and tried to find some vegetarian food somewhere. <laughs> They're closed. That made us really happy. And, um, but, but we went to this one restaurant and I looked in and there was just nobody in there. And I thought, oh, well, they're probably closed too. And, and like, no, there's workers. So we went in and I asked the lady, I said, so why? What's going on? Why, why, where is everybody? And this is Thursday night. Okay, snowstorm was Wednesday. Okay, this is Thursday night. And she said, well, the, the, the weather the weather. And then we went to Lowe's, and, and seriously, there were six customer cars in the parking lot. The rest were workers. There were like six. There's nobody at Lowe's. And I'm like, what has happened to people? The roads are all clear. Why isn't anybody out tonight? And it's because we've become so used to being home alone. We've learned how to entertain ourselves, how to feed ourselves, how to pass time alone that, you know, the weather gets a little bad, we stay home. Obviously, it's affected our economy, but it's also affected the church. And I I pray that we don't have snowstorms on Sunday mornings because I like to have people here on a Sunday. But we have become so used to isolating ourselves, it's killing us. It really, literally, is killing us. Depression and suicide and overdoses are skyrocketing in our nation today. And I say it's because of isolation. Isolation. Talk to a young person. You know, someone mid-20s or younger teenagers. You ask them what they're looking for more than anything, and it's genuine community. They have access to so much social media, but they are so antisocial. Everybody, whether they realize it or not, needs a friend and needs to spend time with another individual. And so if each of us would be willing to invest that time into somebody else, it'll pay dividends. It'll reap rewards. It won't be wasted time. And yes, you can go home and still watch your Netflix show, you know, and go to sleep at that. But giving time to others is going to pay a ton of fruit, or it's going to produce a ton of fruit. Okay, so now as I studied this 
scripture this week, I realized that most of the time, I've read this several times uh, in my lifetime, but I, I realized that most of the time I identify with the disciples. You know, I could see myself as a disciple. Like I'm traveling with Jesus and we get to a town and I'm like, all right, Jesus, you need some food. So I'm going to go with the other disciples. We're going to go get, get you some food and then come back. And I see Jesus talking to someone that I wouldn't be talking to. And I'd be like, ah, that's kind of weird. Why are you doing that? Jesus? Oh, that's okay. I'm not going to say anything. And just that aspect of being a disciple of Jesus. But this week, as I was walking through it, I realized that I actually better identify with the woman at the well. Because as I looked at her life, which was something that she didn't really want to share, I have aspects of my life that I'm not super proud of. And, you know, aspects of my life that, that I wouldn't want others to know about. And I've avoided conversations. I've avoided people just like this woman did, where she is going at noon because she's avoiding conversations with the locals, the ladies of, their, of her town. But I've also been on the receiving end of Jesus answering my dumb questions, <laughs> you know, again and again and again, and he's had patience with me, understood what I'm trying to say, but then pointed me towards the truth. And I would also say that because God has been so patient with me, that he's invested time in me, that it's, it's produced fruit. I'm not the same person I was five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And people are coming to know Jesus through this ministry, through this church. And a lot of that has to do with just the fact that Jesus has had patience with me, with Rose, with our leadership team, and loved us and spent time with us. And it's producing fruit. So I'm guessing that many of us here today can identify with the woman at the well. And Jesus said it this way in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. That's Jesus' approach with us. He's like standing there. He's knocking. He's not forcing his way in. But boy, is he available. He's like, man, I'm here. All you have to do is open the door, and I'll come in, and I'll, I'll eat with you. I'll talk with you. I'll spend time with you. I just had an image of Jesus offering his shoulder and saying, you can cry on my shoulder. There's some here who think, I don't have anyone who understands what I'm going through. And Jesus would say, I understand. You feel betrayed, I was betrayed. You feel hurt, I've been hurt. You feel disrespected, I've been disrespected. Jesus can empathize with whatever you're going through. If you would only open the door and let him in. Well, that's it for today's message. We hope we helped you know God more intimately. If you feel our ministry is helping you spiritually, feel free to find out more about us at lighthouseofinner.church. Thank you for being part of our family, and we will see you next time.